Welcome to Shofar Ronnebosch Sermon Podcast. We trust that today's message will edify and strengthen your faith. Standing in front of the pulpit is very uh, intimidating, so I'm going to move it away so that I can see you. Well, uh, <laughs> good afternoon. Um, if we haven't met, uh, my name is Lutlok Uh Yeah, I know people don't, don't know that. And uh, I grew up in Northwest, and like about 90% of people that I meet, they always assume I'm either from the DRC or Zimbabwe. Or Zambia. You're laughing because you know it's true. <laughs> but I'm actually South African. A lot of people struggle to, uh, to believe that. Um, so I grew up in Northwest. Um, I came to UCT when I was uh, I like, what, 17? Like I was 17 when I was here. And I remember I was listening to a sermon while I was in church and someone was preaching. And he asked the question, uh, if you lost everything and you were left with Jesus, will he be enough? I like that, that question really, like, it destroyed me. It wrecked me for, for a while. Because um, in that moment, I struggled. Like, I just, I just got here. <laughs> like, I just finished my matric about last, like, two months ago, and you were telling me, like, if I didn't have a degree, will I be satisfied with only having Jesus? And I think that's, that's the question I want to put before you tonight um, as we go through the sermon is, is Jesus enough? If you ever had... Well, if that's all you had, will you be satisfied with just having Jesus? Um, so it's one thing to talk about idols, you know, like the things that are good that we make ultimate things. Uh, when you uh, when I ask someone like Nyasha, what is your idol? Nyasha would say, oh, the, the djembe. <laughs> uh, you probably would say, apart from the djembe, would say, I don't really have idols. I mean, like, I'm, I believe in Jesus. Jesus is my role model. Um, but you, in order to find out an idol, you must ask a different question. You might bypass the mind and go straight to the heart. You must ask him, Nyasha, what is your, your nightmare? Like, what is that thing that if you ever lost, like, your life will be wrecked? What is that one thing that you don't, you're so scared to lose? So that's the question I'm asking you. What is your, what is your worst nightmare? That it, if it ever came true, you will struggle to live. You will have no hope. Um... So that's sort of like the background of what we're going to be chatting about tonight. I know it's very deep. I'll try to make puns along the way just to, no, okay, I'm getting, okay, we'll just, okay, we'll keep it deep. Okay, fine. Cool. Well, uh, I think we're going to watch, we're going to watch a video first just to start on a light note and um, we'll take it from there. If people say your dreams are crazy, if they laugh at what you think you can do, good. Stay that way. Because what non-believers fail to understand is that calling a dream crazy is not an insult. It's a compliment. Don't try to be the fastest runner in your school or the fastest in the world. Be the fastest ever. Don't picture yourself wearing OBJ's jersey. Picture OBJ wearing yours. Don't settle for homecoming queen or linebacker. Do both. 
lose 120 pounds and become an Ironman after beating a brain tumor. Don't believe you have to be like anybody to be somebody. If you're born a refugee, don't let it stop you from playing soccer for the national team at age 16. Don't become the best basketball player on the planet. Be bigger than basketball. Believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. When they talk about the greatest team in the history of the sport, make sure it's your team. If you have only one hand, don't just watch football. Play it at the highest level. And if you're a girl from Compton, don't just become a tennis player. Become the greatest athlete ever. Yeah, that's more like it. So don't ask if your dreams are crazy. Ask if they're crazy enough. probably watch that video, you feel like very inspired to do anything, right? You feel like you can take over the world. Um, unfortunately, I've set you up because that video, in a lot of ways, I like it. I love it. The message that, that it, uh, it brings across. But there was a movie called Babe. Uh, it came out in 1995. I don't know who's seen it. Probably like older than some of you here. But uh, as this you got, are you guys still like you, st you still eat meat after watching it? Okay. Yeah. So it's a, if those that have been seeing it, it's about a piglet that wants to be a sheepdog. Then everyone else in the movie obviously mocks the piglet that you can't be a sheepdog. You're a piglet. Piglets must be piglets, and sheepdogs must be sheepdogs. Everyone has a place in society. That's that's the point. And you, but. The whole point of the movie is, if you can figure out what, it, what, makes you, you, what makes you unique, that thing that makes you stand out, be that at whatever cost. Despite all the ridicule, despite what people say, you must be who you are. So the piglet becomes a sheepdog in the movie and it successfully um, herds the sheep into, into the fold. Uh, this, and you watch that in relation to this video. It's like whatever dream you have, figure that out and be it. Despite what people say, just the more they say that your dream is crazy, the more inspired you should be. You should ask like, is my dream like uh, big enough? Let's say, is my big like my is my dream crazy? Is it crazy enough? Um, sort of that's sort of like the society we live in. Like there is no you can't tell anyone anything that goes against what they truly believe inside. There's also a story about two fish that were swimming one morning um, in, in a lake and they meet this older fish. Um, so the older fish greets the two young fish. I know it's, I'm not gonna, I'm trying to not make a pun of it. Um, so the older fish greets the small, the younger, the younger fish, say boys, how's the water? So the two young fish don't respond, they swim along. Um, then one looks at the other and says, what, what is water? So before you think about me being a bigger fish, telling you younger fish 
what water is, please don't, don't. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is sometimes the, the most real things in life tends to be the hardest things to see and tends to be, the very, tends to be very difficult um, to talk about. So we all know we have idols in our hearts. There's certain things that we love more than we love Jesus. That, that's a given. And the point of the message is not to say you have an idol, um, sort yourself out. But it's to, to be aware of the sort of like the narrative that we tend to slip into without being aware that is actually happening. Um, but I want to give a big, bit of a background on how we, how, do, how we got here. How do we go to a place where certain things in our lives, where, uh, they're so tempting to be good uh, compared to God. Like you, you would give up anything to earn your degree. But you really struggle to, I mean, like wake up at five probably to spend time with God. You know? Uh, but yeah, before I get too carried away. So we're going to start with Genesis 3, um, the original sin, where the snake just spoke to Eve. And the scripture says, um, so when the woman saw that the tree was good, was good for food and it, it was a delight to, to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, at, and he ate. And this is at the very beginning where, where sin entered the world. And you can see what was, what's, what's happening in Eve's heart about in terms of the language that the scripture uses about the, the, she, well, the snake spoke to her about eating the fruit, but when she saw for herself, she saw that the, the fruit was good. Despite what God said, she saw that the fruit was good, that it was a, a delight to the eyes. Um, it was something to be desired. And it's, it speaks about her heart, her heart's position towards what, um, what she was seeing. And I think a lot of times we gravitate to things that are, not necessarily morally wrong, but they just, like your degree is like a neutral. But to it, we see it as a, that's just chuckling. Uh, we see that it's, um, it's more than just a degree. I think for some of us, it's sort of a way to get it to a better place. It could, and, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it could easily replace Jesus as the savior without you being aware of it. I think that's, that's where we're going. Um, uh, I don't know if you guys even know Martin Luther, uh, the German theologian, not Martin Luther King, the, no, okay. the German theologian. Um, so when he writes a commentary on the 12th commandments in Exodus, he says the, the, the first commandment that God gave about not having idols, is, and when you take the, the teaching of the New Testament about justification, which means uh, being in the right standing with God, it's basically the same thing. To say that you do not have any other God except the Lord, or you say that you, when God says you must, not, you have, must have no, no idols before him, it's the same thing to say that only Jesus is your Savior. Um, so, like I said, idols are like good things that become ultimate things in our hearts. In other words, they become more than what they need to be. Uh, Prophet Jeremiah also speaks about, about it, or the Lord speaks to Jeremiah about it, says, 
in Jeremiah 2 verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me and the fountain of the fountain of living waters and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold or that cannot hold water. Um, so it's the two things that they have done. The first is that they have forsaken the Lord, which is the living water, which, or the foundation, the the fountain of living waters. And they have sort of made for themselves these cisterns, like the things that hold water, but these things are really broken. In other words, they have created idols for themselves to um, for those things to be the the fountain of of living water and Paul says it uh, in Romans 1 verse 18 to 25 um, he says for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown, because God has shown it to them, and for His in, invisible attributes, mainly His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been that have been made. So they are without excuse. For when, for when, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God, or give thanks to Him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for, the, for images resembling um, mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in their lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they have exchanged the truth about about the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served creatures rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Um, I think what he's saying in verse 20, 24 is explaining what happened in uh, Genesis chapter, um, chapter 3 verse 6 where he says he gave them up um, to the loss of their hearts. Um, we see with what was going on in Eve's heart about lusting for the fruit, like desiring to have the food, seeing it as good, that God gave, um, gave them up. Um, I think in practice, this looks like this. There's a guy called David Foster Wallace. I don't know if you guys know him. But uh, he was an American guy. He's an atheist, like very well known for his... This is part of... Uh, uh, a thing you do when you preach and you sit in front of you, you must like in between take breaks and drink water and make them make people uh, like look at you. Um, like I like like going to like uh, when you go back home and you go to a church and like when the pastor uh, forgets where he is in the scripture, he starts besting in in song. Uh, we generally don't do don't do that here, but uh, I'm I'm tempted to start singing now. but I don't think you might need to say. Um, <coughs> so David Walt, uh, Foster Wallace, um, he gave his speech in 2005. He's actually an atheist, so in other words, he doesn't, he doesn't believe in God. But this is what he says. In the day-to-day -day, uh, trenches of adult life, there is, no, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is, is what to worship. 
And the compelling reason for maybe not choosing one sort of a God or a spiritual thing to worship is that pretty much everything else that you worship will eat you alive. If you worship, uh, if you worship money and things, uh, if that's where you tap real meaning, um, you will never have enough. Uh, if this is where I start singing. Uh, if you worship beauty, if you worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, you will you will always feel ugly. And when time and age starts showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. You worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need more power to numb the you numb the pain um, and the fear from others. You worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, and always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is they are unconscious. They are our default settings. They are the kinds of worship you just gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that's what you're actually doing. And the so-called real world will not discourage you from operating on your default settings. Because the so-called real world of men and money and power hums merrily along in the pool of fear and anger and frustration and craving and worship of self. Our, our own present culture has harnessed these forces in ways that have yielded extra, extraordinary wealth and comfort and personal freedom. I think I, I agree with them in a lot of ways that everyone, everyone worships, even though they will not admit it. That's everyone, everyone does it. I don't agree with his solution to it, uh, but I agree with um, what he's saying about that every single person worships, that there is something that drives you. There is something that, that, make, that wakes you up in the morning, that makes you do the things that you do. And sometimes you may think, okay, worship is a very, like, um, it's a loaded word. Well, before I, I jump to that, one thing to note about um, David Foster Wallace is that um, although he was an atheist, he recognized that he was worshiping something. And I think it's him trying to come to terms with what he was trying to believe in his mind and what his heart was feeling. Um, he ended up killing himself in 2008. Uh, he, committed, yeah, he committed suicide. Um, uh, three, yeah, three years after he, he gave that speech. Um, and then I think sometimes we may not see it as that, like a, I'm, I'm actually worshiping here. But another way that um, I think it Martin Luther speaks about is it speaks of in terms of love is that um, obviously he takes from um, what Matthew speaks about, like what Jesus speaks of, like the law is summarized in one, um, one word, which is lo loving God and loving your neighbor. He says, all of us love something. I don't know if you've done psychology, you, you would have probably heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs that at the foundation of every hu of basic human need is that we need love and we need, we need to be loved and we also love. Uh, well, the point of what he's making is that we move uh, where our love is. So in one moment, uh, you love something more than others because the love for that thing is bigger than that. So for example, he says, you may actually believe in, in social justice and, and social equality, but like you make business decisions that exploit people. Is that that happens because you love your own prosperity more than you love your neighbor's uh, prosperity. That you, 
your love for your own prosperity outweighs the love for, um, for your neighbor. Um, C.S. Lewis, um, he was, unlike David Foster Wallace, he's a Christian or was a Christian. Um, he wrote, uh, I don't know if you've read the Narnia, the Narnia Chronicles, Mere Christianity. I see people smiling. Um, yeah, so he says, um, creatures are born, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger while there is such a thing as, as food. A duckling wants to swim while there is such a thing as water. If I, find my, if I find in myself a desire with, with no experience in this world uh, can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was born for another world. If none of my earthly pleasure, um, pleasures satisfied, that does, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud, but probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only arouse it. It, it is to suggest uh, the real thing. That is to... That is to say, I must take care on the one hand, ne never to despise it, or not to be uh, to be or to be un unthankful for uh, for these earthly blessings. Or on the other hand, never to mistake them for something else of which they are only a kind of copy uh, or an echo or a mirage. I must keep alive in myself a desire for my true country, uh, which I shall not find until after death. If, um, yeah, I must not let it uh, snowed up or turn aside. I must take it to be the object of my life, to press onto that country, to help and to help others um, see the same. Basically what he's saying is what Ecclesiastes uh, verse 11 says, that God has put eternity in our hearts. In a sense that there's certain things that we will never find satisfaction for in this world. It's only in when we get to heaven or when we encounter Christ, that we will find satisfaction. Um, also, a prophet Haggai, um, uh, chapter 2, verse 7, speaks about, I will shake all nations and what is desired by all nations will come, which is a messianic prophecy about, about Jesus being the, the desire of all nations. And I think the point of... Uh, C.S. Lewis is saying and what um, David Foster Lewis said that there are certain things in our hearts, there are desires. And if we never meet the real thing, we'll, what tends to happen is that we fill it with the good that we see. Um, so practically, this is how it plays out. Like when I asked with the question of if you ever lost anything and you were left for Christ, uh, will that be enough? I think most of us here don't want to speak on your behalf, but you can correct me though if I'm wrong. But you probably say, I'm not quite sure if I'll settle for just having Jesus. Show of hands, you say, like, I'm, I'm just fine if I just have Jesus. Okay, no one wants to be honest. <laughs> okay, Nyasha is, the, is honest. Anyone else wants to join Nyasha? Christian, you see, that's a good name to have. Christian is. Uh, Christopher as well. Anyone else? No? So everyone else is like satisfied, just okay, I have Jesus, I'm fine. I think most of us, if we're really honest, would say, I, I don't know, I think I'll struggle with that, just just saving Christ. Because I guess on one hand, we like, 
having Jesus, like without a degree, without a job, without a wife and kids, I don't know. I don't know, is that, is, I don't know if like, that's the life I want to live. Anyone, anyone wants to be honest, like, I'm, I'm, I'm like, no, that's, I'm, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> but I guess that's the point I'm trying to make, is that, uh, and I'm saying, like, uh, maybe it's a conversation that we need to start having with God, like, for Jesus to be real, you know? Like, there's certain things that are more real to us than Jesus. Betty was saying earlier, maybe, maybe we need to put Jesus on the screen. Uh, Tim Keller uses this analogy. It's like when you talk to someone and they're watching something, uh, you can say what, you could say, be saying the most beautiful thing about them, that if the screen has captured the, their attention, they won't hear what you're saying. Visual always wins over audio. Um, I think we need to bring our hearts to a place with, where Jesus is on the screen all the time, where he, he becomes real, that we can say, I think I can live with just having Jesus. But until we come to that place, we'll fill that, that, that void in our heart with other things. There'll be other things that will, take, that will capture our hearts. There'll be other things that motivate us to do things. Um, we will be religious about it, quote Matthew 6, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and all things will be added unto you. But what we're really saying is that I'm here for the all things. The kingdom probably will come later, but I'm here for the all things. And Jesus is my means to get to the all things. Right? But we need, see, you didn't want me to make puns, so now it's getting awkward. Uh, but, uh, but I think that that's the truth. It's like we need to come to terms with like, Lord, I want you, I, want, I, want just, I just want you. Not, I'm not here for the old things. I'm not, like, I'm not just praying so that I could get a degree, but uh, I really want to encounter you. I really want to know you. I think the point I'm trying to make is that we need to live from the cross. Because until you live from a place where you know that your identity is received, not attained, all you do, you will, look like you, you, you will use your degree to give you an identity. But until you realize what Jesus did, on the cross for you when he died. Like you, you will strive, you will use people to um, define an identity. Unless the cross becomes real to us, unless we encounter Jesus in that way, um, will we ever be free? Um, but I think there's someone else that embodies like this knowledge. Like when you, there's certain things that you know in your head you know, like, but it, living it out is quite, it's very, it's very difficult. Like when Yeshua was saying, I think theoretically, I think Jesus, I'll be happy with just having Jesus. But like living that out in the everyday, it's, a, it's another story. It's very difficult. Um, and we see this in Peter's life. I think that he's one of the apostles that embodies this uh, more than anyone else. <coughs> in Luke chapter 9, we, we get, we, there's a story about Everyone trying to figure out who Jesus is. Like, even Herod is asking questions about Jesus. And, um, and Jesus obviously knows about this. So he asks his disciples, who do people say I am? So some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say 
you're the prophet of old. Then he looks to Peter and says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, uh, you're the Messiah, the Holy One of God, from God, right? He gets this revelation from the Father because Jesus says, uh, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. So it must have been like a divine inspiration that Peter got. But he has this, this divine revelation. And a couple of verses after that, Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. So you, like, you read that, it's like, this is weird. Like, this guy just had a revelation about who Jesus is. And now all of a sudden, he's being called Satan, right? It's like, what happened? Like, from hero to, uh, from hero to zero. All just like, in a minute, it's like, like, I think there's like five verses in between. And if you read, uh, you study the text, you realize the scripture or the verse that, that Peter struggles with is uh, the verse that speaks about the cross. The verse that speaks to Jesus is, it's verse 21. Uh, where Jesus says, uh, from that time on, began, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day to be raised again, or to be raised to life. I wasn't at my own words here. Um, um, this is the verse that he struggles with, because in his mind, Jesus was the Messiah. And what that meant to him was that he was here to liberate the Jewish nation. He was to be the, the king. And, and he was going to do it in using political force. So that's, that's what meant. But that's what when, when he got the revelation that you are the Messiah, the Holy One from God was like, yes, you are the one that we've been waiting for. But Jesus didn't come to conquer um, nations like Peter had expected. Um, Jesus explains, like, why, um, let me see if I could. Um, like, why is Peter thinking that way? Is that, um, see where, this is the part where we start singing. Uh, I think Nyasha can sing. Nyasha can sing for us. Maybe you have a given. Uh, 22. <laughs> uh, another one? See if it's there. It might be on my other notes. No, okay. So the verse was about um, where Jesus says to Peter that you do not have uh, the mind. Oh, yeah, I have it. It's 22. You're right, Yash. Um, Peter took, took him aside and, and began to rebuke him. Said, never, Lord, uh, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling, block to, a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. I think that's, that's what Jesus picks out as the problem, is that Peter's merely concerned about, about him. Like he's, he's thinking it's only about himself. He's not thinking about what Jesus came to do for the whole world. Like it's, it's a very selfish mindset that he has. And I th you can sort of hear Philippians 2 in the background when you're reading this about how Jesus, um, though he was God, he took the form of a servant. He didn't cling to the, the, to the fact that he was God, but he emptied himself and became a servant. And 
obedient uh, even unto unto death and that that's what he's saying like he's like um jesus gave up his life he so that we could have life and, and life to the fullest and uh, the mindset that the peter had was was not that peter was like i'm i'm in it for my for myself uh for a jewish a jewish nation um but the point of the whole story about peter is that knowing something does not necessarily mean your heart is away and is convicted by it. There's so many things that we, we know, but like we're not necessarily living out of. Um, you know, that's, um, you can very, like we were speaking about, I was speaking about the, the, the audio and the visual. If you're expecting um, to hear that from your father that he loves you, or you're looking for affirmation from your dad, and you keep hearing it from God, but like, the visual on the screen, what you're looking for is actually literally heard from God, from your father. Is that whatever, it doesn't matter what God says. He could say that you are my son in whom I'm, I'm well pleased, that I love you. But that will never really capture your heart because your heart is focused on really getting your affirmation somewhere else. And the point of that I'm trying to make is that we need to make a shift in our hearts that Jesus uh, goes on the screen, that we... Um, that we fix our heart on him. That yes, we may have knowledge, but like we need to to be hungry to an extent that he becomes so real on the screen. That he becomes so real to an extent we say, Lord, even if I have you, I'll be happy. If that's ever ever get in this world, I'll be I'll be happy. Um was uh J. A. Packer. So uh, I'm coasting a lot, a lot of people. As a, as a theologian, uh, he wrote a book, Knowing God is Very Thick. It's like this thick book. Um, but I guess you need to write a book that thick <laughs> if you want to speak about knowing, knowing God. But in it, there's a quote which I really like. Uh, he says, we must recognize how much we lack knowledge of God. We must learn how to measure ourselves not by knowledge about God, not by our gifts, and responsibilities in church, but how we pray and what goes in our hearts. Many of us, I suspect, have no idea how impoverished we are at this level. Um, sometimes we can like, know about God, have all this knowledge about God, but never really get to know Him. And we, we, we can tell that because He says there's two things. He's like, how we pray reveals the level of knowledge we have of God. And also what goes on in our hearts. And I think that's, my, that's the one I want to touch into. Is that, like what you know about God never really impacts your heart until Jesus becomes real. Until, you open, until it, it goes deep into your, to your heart and it begins to transform you. Because like David Foster Wallace was saying, we worship stuff because it's our default setting. We created to worship. And... Really, the only choice that we have in this world is that what to worship. What differentiates me from Nyasha is our object of worship. Nyasha might be worshiping his djembe. I might be worshiping my engineering job. But the fact is, that's, we're operating from a natural inclination. And the only way to change your natural inclination or your default setting, we need to be, uh, you need to be born again. In other words, you need to come to a place where your default settings are, are changed, like you get hardwired into uh, 
to think differently. Then Paul writes in, in the Romans 8, is like, whatever is born of the flesh will produce from the flesh, but whatever is born of the Spirit will live um, according to the Spirit. And it's to, to trust God will, co- will come and do a work in our hearts that He hardwires us to live according to, to the Spirit, not according to, um, to the flesh. And I think a lot of us, in many ways, can confess that God is, is our Lord. Um, and we won't struggle with that. We have that head knowledge that, that he, He's our Lord. But, but our lives don't necessarily um, reflect that, that knowledge that we have, that he is, he is Lord. I think one example I can make is, um, I guess I can take my, use my engineering job instead of using your degree. Um, it's uh, is that I could I could see my job as a as a way to to better my life and my family. You know, it's create making it a what's called like a pseudo god, like a like some kind of a savior. But the problem with having your job as your savior is that when you lose it, you also lose yourself, sort of. Like someone that's gonna save you, not like you survey, but you lose someone that's gonna save you. Or, for example, if you have a child and you s- you see all meaning and purpose in life is to love this kid, and that's all that you ever do. When you lose that kid, deep down in inside of you, you will struggle to have hope because all meaning and purpose in your life was towards this kid. Now the kid is gone your hope is also gone. And that's the same when, when you have an idol, is that when your idol dies, like you're left without, without hope. You see it a lot, a lot of times like when people are in relationships and the girlfriend or the boyfriend becomes more than a girlfriend. It's sort of like my source of fulfillment and satisfaction. And when they break up, I think part of it is the, the pain that comes from a broken relationship. But if you're really honest, part of it is that the person was not just a person. It was more than a person. They meant more to you than what it appeared it was. Like, like some of, that's why you would struggle, for example, to form meaningful other relationships because you're hurt. And because, in other words, your, your God died. And that's the problem when you have idols. And that's what's so profo- profound about what, what Wallace was saying is that anything else that you worship apart from God will kill you. And it's profound in the sense that only Jesus is the one that will not sort of kill you or abandon you because he was abandoned on the cross so that you and I will not be. That he died on the cross so that you and I will live and have an abundant life. That he, he went for the cross. He went to the cross for us. That when we live our life on the cross, when we... we we encounter the cross when the cross is real. When Jesus comes to the, be, like it's put on the screen and we live from the cross, say, I have an identity and I can live out my identity. I don't go out into the world to find out who I am. You know what I mean? Like I don't attain my who I am from the things that I do, but I do things because I know who I am. And I think that's a powerful thing when, the, when you live with the cross in your mind or like, in your heart, when the cross or the gospel transforms your heart, is that you do things for the sake of things. So you see, your degree is just a degree. It's not your savior. It's not the thing that will save your family. 
or your grandchildren. It's just a degree. You know, or relationship or just relationship, and you see them for that, that they are not God, that the, these good things don't become ultimate things. Um, and I, it's, it's, it's a hard conversation in a sense, like we're seeing with the fish story. It's, it's obvious, but at the, very, at the very same time, it's like it's a difficult thing to talk about because like idols are very sensitive things, like the things that we cherish, the things that we love. How dare you tell me that I cannot be a sheepdog if I'm a piglet, right? It's, it's like it's the things that we hold dear to us. These sort of the nightmares that we harbor in our hearts that we, not, we do not allow God to come and speak into or challenge. So my, my challenge tonight to you is that what, are, what is that nightmare that you're afraid that it will come true? Like, are you able or are you willing to have that conversation with Jesus that, that he needs to be the only thing that matters to you? Well, obviously, I'm not saying all the other things that comes along when we seek the kingdom are bad things. I'm saying what would happen in our hearts when we seek the kingdom for the sake of the kingdom, not for the other things that comes along with it? What will happen when Christ is the, fun- the fountain of living water that we would drink from? Not that we can get other stuff, but like he is our satisfaction. He is the living water that we, we so long for. And I think that it can only happen when um, we really allow God to transform our hearts. When we really get, when we get born again, like in a real sense that, that I don't live out of my like natural inclination of liking things for the, so that they can give me things. But I, li- I, like I, I, I see them and I say, but Jesus is better. Like I see my degree and I say, but Jesus is better. I see my work and say, but Jesus is better because he will never leave me nor forsake me. Because he was forsaken so that I won't. And I think when that encourages me, when that, then I can boast about the cross. Because the cross is not something that you wake every day. It's like, I'm going to boast about you today. Right? It's like, like I, d- I don't know anyone that does it. But you sh- we, sh- we should. Like we sh- it should be something that inspires us. It should be something that really pushes us. Because, you know, y- you really cannot lose anything because Christ lost everything. He left heaven so that you can have everything. And it's through him. I think Paul writes in uh, into the Romans chapter 11, verse 36, about for from him and through him and to him are all things. I think when I live that I get my degree is from Christ and it's through Christ and to Christ. It's not, it's not a means to some kind of fulfillment that I'm, I'm desiring. My job is not some, some means to, to find like fulfillment, but it's, it's, it's a service that I can give to Christ, that I can use it to, um, to better m- other people. For example, with, with my work, I'm always asking myself, like, what would my work look like if I consecrated it to God, that it was worship to him and the people that I work with? That it wasn't just a, a thing that I do so that I could get money and feel fulfilled or f- derive identity from it. But it was, I can live from the fact I know who I am and I can use this, this job that I have to, uh, to serve my community and to, to serve God, God with it. And, and I, th- I think when you live from the place that I'm hidden in Christ, that my, my life is hidden in Christ, that that's all I need, that's all I have. 
and when I live from that place that he's all that I, I actually need and he's all that I have. All these other things are temporary. Because Paul writes about how in the if our hope is in Christ is only on this life, then we are only we are only to be pitied. Because we live to eternity. There's, there's there's another life that is coming. Before I start waffling, let me let me start uh, wrapping things up. I think that's a sign. Iggy, I think we need to change the battery. Nyasha, we need another song. Awesome. Um, cool. So, how do we get to? I think uh, we can go to the last slide. Cool. So, how do we dismantle idols in our lives? Uh, so, there's three things that are put up there. I think first one is uh, you renounce. To renounce is uh, basically cutting all attachments to the things that you love that aren't Jesus, that you recognize that they are just things. Um, and like you, you invite God to really uproot those things. It's, and it, I think Mike, uh, maybe I should say this as well, that the expectation is not that like you live here without any idols. It's a journey. It's part of our sanctification. It's part of discipleship. It's part of being like Christ. Um, and the second one is... Uh, you repent, because um, Jesus is the only God that we need, and to have any other gods is actually, um, it's a sin, uh, in actual fact. Um, so we recognize that Christ does not have a part in our hearts and as he should. We recognize that I love other things more than I actually love Jesus, and I, re- I, re- I would actually struggle to live without the other things if I only had him. I think we need to, like your heart needs to come to that place. And that's, it's only through repentance that it could happen. And then the other powerful thing about repentance is what we see in the book of Acts when Peter is preaching. He says, uh, you must repent so that your sins may be blotted or may be covered. Uh, then he says another profound thing is this, so that times of refreshing may come. And that's a wonderful thing that happens when you bring your heart before the Lord in repentance is that, there's, he begins to refresh you. He begins, he begins to show you how much, um, who he is and what he represents in your life. That you, He refreshes you. He sort of like energizes you for the new life that he's uh, put before you. Um, and we invite, the, through repentance, we invite the Holy Spirit to, to rewire our default settings as uh, David Foster Lewis was saying, that, that we do not operate out of... Um, worshiping idols or worshiping um, created things but we begin to worship the creator we we restore the glory that we had traded for for the created things and i think the last one is to rejoice i think unless you bring your heart unless unless jesus is like your your treasure um like the the, the story that jesus tells like um 
someone like um, finding this treasure in this field and going and selling everything that they had so they could buy this plot of land because this plot of land has treasure. I think that's uh, in worship. I think that's the place where Jesus becomes real. It's the place where we can bring our hearts and we, we, we can bring Jesus on the screen. Like he's busy on the, he's on audio now, but we need to bring him on the screen. We need to behold. And you only behold and worship. Because you become what you behold. Thank you, Matthew. That's my flatmate right there. <laughs> <coughs> Supporting me all the way. Um, it's like w- to behold Jesus. Because when we behold him, we become like him. And I think that's, that's our main purpose in life, is to become like Jesus. And it's, the place where we rejoice about the work, the finished work of the cross, what Jesus did for us, how he bought our very own lives, how he bought our identity, how he bought our freedom. When, when, that, when that becomes real, when that becomes more real than the things that you see in front of you, like when the water becomes real to the fish, they will realize that they cannot actually live without the water. Right? Like this this is water, fish. Like without it, you, your very existence stops. And it's only through worship that happens. Um, like where, where God begins to take your intellectual knowledge about him and makes it real. Like he, he buries it deep inside your heart. The psalmist says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, un- until other things until Jesus is, you taste and see that is good. All everything else will always be better, will always be good, will always be more enticing, will always, will always eclipse him. But we need to trust for our hearts to be, to really be captured by his love, to be captured by, by who he really is, not what we make in our minds, not who who we make him in our minds, but like his re- his nature that is as he's described in the word. That's the living water. That all these other waters that we drink from, they don't really satisfy us. They actually, we become more thirsty by drinking them. But like only him, he satisfies. And it's only through worship where we encounter him when he becomes real. Thank you. Um, so yeah, I think uh, we'll bring our hearts before the Lord. Um, as we remember the cross, it's, it's oh, like Easter Sunday, um, like the moment where Jesus like, rose again from the, from the grave in newness of life and the things that he speaks over you. Um, I just want to encourage you, like we bring our hearts. I think maybe, maybe you want to answer the question as we're going to take communion now um, about, about facing your, your, your nightmares, facing those things that you don't want to lose. Let us, let us bring those things before God. Let us see them for what they are. Um, let's, let's trust God to do your work in our hearts, to, to really bring, to make, to make him real in our lives. So yeah, you can distribute the... And I think I've been saying all of this, and you're probably like you're wondering, like, <coughs> I don't know you, this Jesus that you're talking about, and I, you don't know this what 
what it means to be to be born again and uh, for Jesus to be your your treasure and for him to be the only thing that you need to live your life um, or dedicate your life to. And I think just want to create an invitation that you've never made that decision um, to worship Jesus. If because the reality is you are worshiping something. But if you've never made that 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 decision for Jesus to to be your Lord and Savior, uh, you probably have um, had other things in your life that have taken their place, and you want to bring Jesus into the place where He is Lord. Well, He's actually Lord, but you want to recognize Him as your Lord. And I really want to like want to pray with you uh, this evening. Um, if that's you, you can come to the front. Uh, I'll pray with you. If you've never given your heart to the Lord, if you've never made that decision, like you may not know it in your in your head, but like your heart resonates with with the fact that you actually worship in created things instead of the Creator, and like y- there's a thing in you that's screaming out, that's longing for the actual thing, for the real thing, for Jesus. And I would like to invite you to the front, and I'll um, I'll pray with you. If there's anyone like, like that. Awesome. We're all Christians. Awesome. So we're going to do the real thing now. I think, uh, not that all the other things were fake. Uh, okay. Communion is a very... break. Um, communion is a very important sacrament in the Christian faith because it's a, it reminds us of, uh, of Jesus, what he did for us on the cross. The, the grape juice represents his blood that was poured out for our sins. Um, the bread uh, represents his body. Um, so as we take these elements, let us bring our hearts before him. Let us re- real, be authentic with God. Let us, let us bring our hearts before us, the Lord, there are these things in my heart, there are these things in my heart that are, that really um, taking so much space um, that you, I, I left no room for you. And you begin to mention those things before we take uh, communion. We begin to, to confess these things and like I said, we we renounce them and re- in repentance, and afterwards we're gonna um, end off with with rejoicing um, on the cross, on what that represents. Living from the cross, living with the fact that we have received our identity, living with the fact that our lives are now hidden in Jesus Christ, that the life that we live, we live in Him. So I'll pray for the elements, and you can. Have a moment with the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, uh, for your body that was broken for us. For your stripes, Lord, that, that gives us healing. For your body, Lord, that, that really, Lord, was beaten, was um, like with so many, yeah, that was, you were tortured, Lord, that there were, a crown of thorns was put on you, Lord, that, um, so, that, so that we may not go through that, Lord. You went through all that so that we can have bodies that, are, that have no stripes, Lord. That we have bodies that are, have no holes. Um, 
caused by nails, caused by, by sin, Lord. But you took our sin on your body, Lord, so that we may, we may not have to. You took the wrath that was meant for us. You took all the blows that, that, that we deserved. Lord, that you, you were our substitute. Lord, and we take this in, in remembrance of that, Lord. And as we take the bread now, we remember, Lord, what you did for us on the cross. How you saved us, Lord, about what it cost you. It cost you your very, your very flesh, Lord. And Lord, we, we take this, this blood, Lord, that was poured out on the cross for us. The blood, Lord, that speaks of protection, Lord, that speaks of the covering, Lord, that you poured out, Lord, for us to protect us, Lord, for our sins that are washed, Lord, by your blood. That we can step out of here knowing, Father, that you are the object of our affection. You are the object of our love. We pray, Lord, you come and do your work in our hearts, Lord, even as we take these elements, Lord, that we bring our hearts before you. We ask you to come and rewire our hearts, Lord. Come and rewire our default settings, Lord, to that of you, to that of, of living out of the spirit, living out of the reality of the cross all that you bought for us, all that you purchased for us, Lord, that we live in freedom and life in abundance, Lord, that you bought for us, that we will not be enslaved by, by our work or our degrees, Lord, that all the anxieties that comes out of it, Lord, is because we probably have made them more than what they are. They're just things, Lord, and we want to elevate you in our hearts. We want to elevate you say you are a priority, Lord, that you are supreme. You're not just significant, but you are supreme, Lord, that without you, Lord, there's no meaning in life. Lord, that without you, Lord, there is, that we, our lives really stops to exist, Lord, that you are our fountain, our fountain of life, Lord, and we want to drink from you. We want to live from you, Lord, and through you, Lord, and our lives to be, um, to be given unto you completely, Lord. Help us come to the place, Lord, where you are all that we need and are all that we have. That we will freely, Lord, we will be able to, to freely give, Lord, because we gave first to you. We gave our lives back to you, Lord. And in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you for dying for us. Amen.